0: Hey, everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to
1: $100. He's hacker.
0: So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice
1: guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at
0: 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And
2: he doesn't shy away from opinion.
0: See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, but, uh, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come-
1: it's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL.
0: And a very good Tuesday evening to you Jacksonville, our late night show, 1010XL 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us as we're going to dive right in because I got something that quite frankly I want to get off of my chest. A lot of guests coming up tonight. Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times-Union talking Jaguars in about uh, less than 15 minutes or so. We'll also start our divisional preview. We will hit all four divisional games coming up this weekend. Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com, which is a part of Sports Illustrated. He will join us coming up to preview Green Bay and San Francisco in about 35 minutes or so. But every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night. And Dylan, Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big, deal? No, it big is, deal? It is
2: a big deal on Hacker After Dark.
0: All right. So I dove right in tonight because we got some great guests coming up, but I want to dedicate at least a couple of minutes to this. Um, I don't know who needs to hear this in Gainesville. The athletic director, the president, the head coaches, anybody in power. I don't know when Florida became Mississippi State in football and men's basketball, but it needs to stop, and it needs to stop now. Tonight, Florida basketball was embarrassed in Knoxville by Tennessee to drop to 1-3 and in conference play. They are a below-average SEC basketball team, and they have been for quite some time. The football team did not win enough games to qualify for a bowl game going 5-7. and Uh, That's pathetic. That's putrid. And Gator fans, you have every right to be very, very upset. Uh, Whether it's been bad hires, whether it's been uh, recruiting has been an issue, whatever it has been, it needs to be solved and remedied now. This is the University of Florida, all right? This is not Mississippi State. With all due respect to Mississippi State, you look at their athletic budget, you look at their recruiting area, they are where they are for a reason. They don't have college football national championships. They don't have college basketball national championships. The University of Florida does. Two basketball titles, three football titles. There's not a lot of schools that can say that, and it wasn't that long ago, 15 years ago, that they were on the top of the mountain of both sports, and they not only have plummeted off the top of the mountain, they're down somewhere in the valley amongst the muck of the Southeastern Conference. They are a below average SEC athletic program when it comes to football and men's basketball. You don't go to bowl games. You don't qualify for the NCAA tournament. You get embarrassed every Saturday when you play a good team. You get embarrassed every weeknight when you play a good conference game in basketball. It is ridiculous. It is embarrassing. And something needs to be done. I don't know, you know, calling for heads, I don't know if that will solve anything. But I don't know when it was okay for Florida to turn into Mississippi State. But that is what has happened. Now, this is not a direct uh, you know, thought on Todd Golden, necessarily. He's only coached a year and a half. This isn't a direct reflection on Billy Napier, necessarily. He's been there two years. But good heavens, man. I mean, you just rattle off the SEC teams in football and men's basketball when you combine them that you'd rather have than Florida. Obviously, Georgia. Obviously, Alabama obviously LSU, obviously Missouri, obviously Ole Miss, obviously Tennessee. Should I go on? It is putrid in Gainesville right now when it comes to those two sports. People should be embarrassed by the product they're putting on the court and by the product they're putting on the field. And when you combine those together, it is a problem. Again, A team like Mississippi State, why am I going after them? Well, you know, look who's in charge in Gainesville right now. All right? Mississippi State does not have the recruiting budget, does not have the resources, does not have the facilities necessarily, does not have the heritage, does not have any of that in either sport. And they are as good, if not better, than Florida right now in both of them. And that is unacceptable. So, Uh, Again, Gator fans, I've seen your complaints on social media. I've seen my buddies that have texted me that are just, like, over it. And watching that game tonight, look, Tennessee's better than Florida. There's no shame in losing in Knoxville the way the Gator basketball team did earlier. But they did not belong on the court with Tennessee. Tennessee beat the crap out of them. And Florida hasn't won a basketball game in Knoxville since 2014. This isn't Rupp Arena, all right? Florida is a middle-of-the-pack, below-middle-of-the-pack SEC basketball program. And that was fine in the mid-to-late 90s when Spurrier was dominating on the football field. But when you combine an awful product, not going to a bowl game football team, with an awful product, not making the NCAA tournament basketball team, and you lump them together... They got problems. It is a sad state of affairs at the University of Florida right now when it comes to football and when it comes to men's basketball. And you, Gator Nation, deserve better. I've given you grief for not being patient with certain people down there, but it's ridiculous what those two programs have turned into. From on top of the world 15 years ago, and being the only school that has ever held the football title, and the men's basketball title in the same umbrella in the same year, to now you can't even make a bowl game on the gridiron and you have missed the NCAA tournament in back-to-back years and you get flat-out embarrassed like you did tonight in Knoxville? Pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. And the University of Florida is better than that. The University of Florida deserves better than that. And there is no way people should be satisfied with the Florida Gators become nothing more now than the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And with all due respect to Mississippi State, I'm not sure if their programs right now are not better than Florida on the football field and on the basketball court. Absolutely ridiculous. And heads need to start rolling if things don't change very, very quickly. Six four one ten ten on the text line. design by Lifetime Enclosures with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green, with you, Denmark. Quickly, you're an alum. Am I being too harsh? I mean, I'm I'm fired up at what I saw in the basketball game tonight.
1: To be honest, I really don't care about any other sport other than football. Football is the one that drives everything. I mean, I like baseball and track just because I don't know. Those are my niche sports that I pay attention to outside of football, but. I mean, football drives everything, and I mean, I was talking about this with Graham the other day. I, I've i told you, I've said it on the air, I don't think Billy Napier's the guy. I don't think Florida's ever going to win at a high level with Napier, and then if he's let go this year, I'm all in on Lane Kiffin, but that's wow. kind of where I stand right now. But
0: You know what, and that's fair, but obviously men's basketball would be considered number two at almost every university behind football. In some universities, it's considered number one. But I think you take a consensus, the top two sports on any college campus, football and men's basketball, are gonna be one and one A. And when Florida sucks at both of them right now, that is a problem that needs to be addressed now. 6'41-1010 on the text line, designed by lifetime enclosures. All right. Had to get that off my chest. I was P.O.'d watching Gator basketball today. Absolutely ridiculous. Let's get into the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's talk about the future. What does that mean for Trevor Lawrence and his contract? What does that mean for Calvin Ridley and Josh Allen? Both guys are scheduled to become free agents in less than two months. That's right. Free agency officially begins on March 11th. We are inside of two months until free agency. My buddy Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union does a terrific job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. And he's next. Hacker After Dark. On a Tuesday night, our late night show here in Jacksonville, Florida, and we are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the all-pro roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The NFL playoffs in full swing, pretty bittersweet watching last weekend's action, knowing the Jaguars basically only need to win one more game in their last six, and they would have been in. Obviously, that is not the case. Last week, we talked about what happened. This week, now we're turning the page about what needs to happen to avoid a collapse like that from ever happening again. With that, Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times-Union does a terrific job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's with us here on 1010XL. Demetrius, how we doing?
2: I'm doing all right. How about yourself?
0: Demetrius, we're good. Uh, We took a break last week because we both had to decompress, I think, from the biggest collapse in <laughs> franchise history. Just a quick thought, man. It's the first time I've had you on since mm-hmm. the Tennessee game. You cover the team every day. I mean, it was an amazing fall from grace.
2: Yeah, amazing is, is sort of one, one way to put it. Um, I don't think anyone saw it coming, and, and I know you guys have already talked about this ad nauseum, um, but just, you know, from my perspective, it was it was incredible. I mean, just to see the, the collapse because I – you know, going into the game, I, I, I'm never 100% certain, you know, on what's going to happen. Obviously, no one is. You know, people will say, yeah, there's no way X, Y, and Z will happen. But, you know, th- there's always that chance. But I was probably about as close as you can get to that. And I thought, um, you know, with everything on the line, I thought with the Panthers game the previous week and how they sort of sort of uh, got back to doing what they 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 knew that they could do. I figured you know this would be the game, but you know Derrick Henry ran all over him, um, and and you know it led to all the fallout. And and so I I think that um, th- honestly this is probably a a good thing to happen in in the long term. I know that no one wants to hear that, but, but I really do. I think that um, there's a lot of fundamental issues with this franchise, um, and we've seen it creep up. Once they start losing, that's when you can kind of see it creep up because that's when everybody sort of comes out of the woodwork. And uh, and I think that's sort of what we are seeing right now and sort of uh, the direction the franchise is headed.
0: You know, I guess my question, Demetrius, they fired 10 coaches last week, including mm. defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. Well, what if Ridley catches that ball with two minutes to go yeah. and runs into the end zone and they get the two-point conversion and, you know, they find a way to win the game in overtime and they actually are division champions? I mean, are all those coaches still here? Was that going to happen regardless? Because it happened – less than 24 hours after that game. I mean, was that a knee-jerk reaction? What's your take on all that?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a game of inches for everybody's lives in terms of their jobs. I mean, that that's the case. It it really is, and I can't see any situation where and and I'm speaking almost a little bit out of ignorance here, but you know, I couldn't see any situation where um they had won against the Titans, they host a playoff game. They do whatever happens in that Browns game. I mean, we saw what happened to the Browns against the Texans. I mean, who knows? Maybe they maybe they win that one. But but I have to believe that if everything had went well and they finished off a little stronger, then yeah, I don't think that the the coaches would have been fired as they were. But considering the collapse, considering what happened, uh, I do think it was a bit of a a, a, a knee jerk reaction. And and you know, you can if 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 they want to come out and say it wasn't, then that's fine. But you know, when Doug Peterson comes up there and says hey, you know, I haven't really, you know, gotten all into the what's next. And, you know, those are something that I'm going to be, you know, deciding on, you know, at, at some point, you know, starting to talk to people. And when you ask them about those coaching staff changes, and then, you know, three hours later, you know, I, I barely even can leave the Miller Electric Center, and all of a sudden all the coaches are being fired. So, yeah, it was a knee-jerk reaction, at least from everything that we've seen. And it was something where, you know, clearly that collapse could not – um allow for everybody to stay. And so, you know, he decided obviously he's not going to go after his side of the team. So, you know, go after the defensive side of the team. That's just how I read it.
0: Demetrius Harvey of the Florida times union. I thought the defensive coaching staff was put on notice in the post game locker room. Look, when a team captain Hmm. like Andrew Wingard has microphones in front of him and a camera, he obviously knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying is going to have some weight. And when he says, guys, we're not playing a lot of assignment football down the stretch, The way and I interpreted that was defensive guys were doing their own thing. They were freelancing and that is not a good message to send out revolving around the coaching staff.
2: No, it's not. And, and, you know, that that's been an issue for over the last two years. I mean, you saw it last year, you know, just because of the, just because the season ended on a high note last season um, doesn't mean that there weren't issues. You know, they were nine and eight that season too. Um, There were plenty of issues with them in terms of playing assignment football, um, we talked to ad nauseum about Devin Lloyd and how he wasn't, you know, playing exactly where, where he needed to be. But, you know, rookie year and, and all those built-in excuses. And then it carries over to this year. You know, it, it just so happened that it didn't happen until, like, the last six games of the season. And and so, you know, when when, when you have a defense that isn't playing um, – isn't doing what the coaching staff wants them to, um, there's an impasse. You know, you either – have to fire the entire defense or you fire the coaches. And it's obviously easier to fire the coaches at that point, because if, if the players aren't taking to your message and I felt that since, since the Cincinnati game, I felt like there was something wrong uh since then, since Doug came out and said, you know, Hey, the crowd noise was, was impacting the, the defense. I thought that at that point, there was something dramatically wrong um, with the defensive unit. And yeah, you know, that 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 is why the defensive staff got fired and 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 partially or at least partially why it it just has to be. And so, you know, that that's sort of where where they have to move on from there. Um, Yeah, Doug, Doug sort of set the tone, I guess, and and said it it wasn't acceptable. And um, everything that that sort of happened, especially with what Dewey said. um, Yeah, it's something that you have to make a change.
0: We have heard a lot of names as far as guys they're interested in, guys that have been blocked from talking to them from right. other organizations. In your opinion, not so much the name but the type of defensive coordinator, do you hope it's a guy with a lot of experience like a Wink Martindale or a Leslie Frazier, maybe an up-and-comer like Marquand Manuel? What's your thought there?
2: Hmm. I, I really do think that they need to go with experience here. Um and and there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, the first reason, obviously, uh, they went the first year out with with uh, Mike Caldwell, and they gave him you know all the opportunity to sort of make the defense right. They gave him the resources. Now, you know, there's there's, there's still some question as to whether or not the resources and the players that um you know general manager Trent balky and, and head coach Chuck Peterson gave them if, if if they were you know good enough to to actually see Mike's vision come come to life, but. You know, I, I do think that at this point there needs to be a clear separation. Doug needs to be able to handle the offense, and the defensive coordinator essentially needs to be the head coach of the defense. And I think right now they need leadership more than anything else. And, um, yeah, a, a guy a guy like Leslie Frazier, to me, makes the most sense. Um, you know, when he coached the Bills, they were one of the top units in the league for several years. Um, you know, he took a sabbatical last year, and, and, you know, he wants to make a make his way back into the league this year. I know he wants to be a head coach, but if that doesn't come to fruition, absolutely, I think that he should be their number one target. I think he makes the most sense. He, he's had head coaching experience, plenty of experience. There's not going to be any reason for Doug to pop in on the meetings or, or to sort of, you know, try to see what, what to do on defense in, in order to make a push. You know, now Doug can sort of handle the offensive side of football, which is exactly what he was hired for. So that, that that's sort of where I'm at on that.
0: Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, the fan base is after Trent Baalke again. Uh, two years after dressing <laughs> up as clowns, we thought all was right with the world. And now, you know, you lose five out of six. The draft class wasn't great. Some of the free agents that have been brought in recently haven't panned out long term and the fan base has got to blame somebody, and they're after Balky for a second time. Do you think that criticism is warranted?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, at this point it is. And um, now not to say, you know, there, there are some extreme examples. I think there's something in the middle where, um, you know, obviously this the, the way that they constructed the roster since 2021 to now – um, you can definitely be critical. I think that they haven't addressed plenty of needs. I mean, the left guard position was something that everybody was screaming about, or at least I I was talking about it for, for months and months and months leading up to the season. And then, you know, once once it kind of came to fruition that they didn't have a left guard, it kind of validated that. Uh, the, the, the same thing with the third down pass or the third pass rusher behind Trayvon Walker and – um And Josh Allen, everyone knew that that was going to be a concern. Um, And then I believe the the third best or the third highest sack total was Roy Robertson Harris with three and a half. I mean, you, 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 you can't get, you can't field a team, Um, defensively and expect to, you know, impact the quarterback when only two of your players are able to do so to a high degree and really one, in my opinion, Josh Allen at a consistent level. So yeah, there, there were a couple of, of clear, you know, uh, issues in in terms of how they conducted this past off season, um, I think that the draft classes haven't borne out enough players that can contribute right away. This past draft class was su- supposed to be a sort of depth, future, you know, focus uh, draft class where not every player was going to play. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to make decisions. And then those players are going to replace the players that they have to make decisions on. Um, but in, in reality, when you looked at it, they never had the players Um, that were supposed to be starters to begin with, you know, guys were not going to be playing at this super high level, uh, to begin with, they needed to make sort of, you know, changes before you, you step on the field and not, you know, see how it works. Um, if you're going to try to make a Super Bowl push, so yeah, you know, with, with with all the things, there have been some 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 good moves. Obviously, the the Calvin Ridley trade, I praise it then, and I'll praise it now. I thought that that was a fantastic trade by Trent Baalke. I think that he's done a good job there. Um, I thought that obviously he did a good job with his with his wide receiver group in general um, last year. I thought that the free agent class was was pretty solid, but yeah, there are too many fundamental issues, um, and then you're hearing you know weird rumors and, and and everything like that. At this point, I just felt like. I just feel like there's there's a time to clean house. They should have maybe done it um, after the 2021 season. They should have probably done it after the 2020 season. Um, but you know, at, at this point, I do think that it's fair to it's fair to criticize and it's fair to question uh, the leadership at with with the Jaguars right now.
0: Couple of more for Demetrius Harvey of the Times Union. Where bulky loses me is I remember in May, it was an OTA inside the stadium. It was me, you, and I believe John Shipley were talking. And we talked then because Allen was doing his own thing away from the team, and we were like, they don't have anybody after Allen and Trayvon Walker to affect, the, to affect the quarterback. That was in May of 2023. And every press conference, Doug Peterson would go up there and say, well, the young guys are going to develop and the young guys are going to do this. No, they were never going to develop. Caleb on chase on, that was a pipe dream what you guys were talking about. And if we knew that in May, Demetrius... How guys making millions of dollars to construct this roster did not see that, it's either incompetence, which I don't think it is, or it was arrogance on their part, which I think it might might have been.
2: And and there's always gonna be a, a bit of that with every NFL team. I mean, these guys make millions of dollars. They're put in these high, you know, profile positions. They're they're on top of the world. I mean, you gotta imagine this guy you're in control of a franchise essentially. Um, so yeah, there's going to be some arrogance involved and there's going to be some, you know, self-confidence and some of that is great. You want to have a guy who is a little bit arrogant. You want to have a guy who's very confident in in what he's doing. Um, but yeah, to your point, um, I do think that that was something where they just let their arrogance and maybe a little bit of, um, a misjudgment of their own players sort of get to their heads, you know, even in, um, in the spring at the league, league owners meetings, um, we asked Doug Peterson, you know, what's, what's the most important part of your team to fix. And he said this, he said, I I think we, I think we got to improve our pass rush. I think that's vital, particularly on third down. I thought we were good in the run game. We just got to continue to get better in the run and shore up some, some things there. But I think too, the passing game is the area that we have to look to addressing this off season and clean that part of it up. Um, And to me, none of that happened. And now that either is, you know, Doug potentially saying, hey, we have to improve ourselves. So Josh Allen has to improve. Trayvon Walker has to improve. on has to improve. Or to me, that's saying, yeah, we need to bring in players or, or do things to actually improve it. There's some, there was some sort of disconnect there and nothing happened. So, yeah, you know, at, at that point, I thought it was malpractice. Um, and you, they sort of saw what happened afterward. You know, they weren't able to get after the passer. Um, to, to the degree that, that, that they should, and um, that sort of impacts everything on the defense. So,
0: All right, Demetrius, as we begin to wrap up, let's start looking forward. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, it's after year three. He's eligible for an extension. We know Herbert got paid after year three. We know Burrow got paid after year three. Do you expect the Jaguars mm-hmm. to pay Trevor Lawrence before the regular season begins?
2: Um, not necessarily. I think that um, the – midseason they're you would think absolutely they're going to um but from things that, that we've heard you know it doesn't seem like they're in some sort of panic or rush to do so and i don't think that they necessarily should be i mean yeah you could you can maybe get away with paying him a little less money this year compared to what you would pay next year say he does have a good season but he has two two years left on his deal they're going to pick up that fifth year option in may. Um, and so you can sort of let this play out for at least one more season, see see if, if 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 what he is or what you think he's going to be is actually going to happen and then sort of pay him from there. I, I don't really see much downside uh, other than saving, you know, some millions um, if he would even take a, a, a lower end deal, you know, that takes two to tango. So to me, I, I don't think that, that they're going to necessarily pay him this summer, but I guess you never know.
0: We'll obviously have you back on before free agency begins, but I guess the two questions before the beginning of March, Josh Allen, Mm -hmm. Calvin Ridley, when it comes to the franchise tag, and what's the ideal scenario Mm -hmm. I keep hearing floated around, the way the language is worded in the Ridley deal. So if you're able to sign Mm -hmm. Josh Allen and then potentially tagging Ridley and not signing him until after the draft, you're able to keep your Mm second-round pick from Atlanta this year. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, so what is accurate is if, if he is not – if Calvin Ridley is signed to a long-term deal or, or any extension before the new league year, then the Jaguars will pay a second-round pick to the Falcons. If, it's at, if it comes after the, the new league league year, then they only pay the third-round pick. So my my ideal scenario for them um, is to pay Josh Allen before um, – I forget when the franchise tag deadline is, I think March 9th or something, um, maybe a little bit earlier – uh, but pay him before that franchise tag deadline. You franchise tag Calvin Ridley, have to sign it until after the new league year. Plus he probably won't sign it to begin with. Um, and then you can re-sign him and just afford that that, that, that third round pick. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. I think um, it's literally just if he doesn't sign a contract before the new league year, which is March 13th, then you don't have to pay the, the second round pick.
0: Was that a mistake by Atlanta? in the wording of that trade, that seems like pretty, pretty, you know, good business by the Jaguars. But if I'm Atlanta, that, that seems like they might've dropped the ball on that.
2: Yeah, they, they absolutely did. I mean, the why you would make it the new league year? I'm not quite sure. Um, But yeah, you know, I think that that is a, a situation where they weren't thinking maybe too far ahead or somebody messed up in that, because I, I agree. It's a bizarre way to to sort of frame it it's a bizarre thing to do because obviously the Jaguars will just wait until afterward
0: and final question I mean you and I have better chances of being astronauts right in the NASA program (laughs) than Josh Allen does
2: playing anywhere else in 2024 you would hope so I mean (laughs) (laughs) you would hope so no I I I think I think you're right I think there's zero chance but you can't say zero with this team Uh, but I'll say close to zero um, that that Josh Allen is playing anywhere else but Jacksonville um this coming season if if they franchise tag him and make him play on the tag then uh something something something's dramatically wrong at at TI or at Everbank Stadium.
0: Yeah, I've been to Cape Canaveral a bunch, but I'm not ready to get into the astronaut program. I cannot imagine that yeah. scenario where Josh Allen is not in a Jaguar jersey next season. Demetrius will have you on about a month from now, man. What can people expect over at the Times Union as we enter the off season? Mhm.
2: I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're sort of you know winding down. I, I kind of took a little bit of time. I mean, not really. I, I took a couple of days to sort of wind down a little bit, um, and then we're we're gonna just get into the off season. We're gonna get into free agents upcoming, the key off season dates. Uh, what to expect, who, who who they might get. But a lot of stuff has to wait to, until they hire a defensive coordinator, which will be our primary focus over at the Florida Times Union. So just uh, keep, keep an eye on for that, and, and we'll you know when, when stuff is happening.
0: Demetrius Harvey of the Florida Times Union. Demetrius, appreciate it, man. We'll do it again soon.
2: Appreciate you guys.
0: There you go, Demetrius Harvey here with us on Hacker After Dark, and we certainly appreciate him joining us as frequently as he did this year. There are still eight teams remaining in the National Football League divisional weekend. We will talk to each and every game that's going to be played, somebody that is a part of that game, but beginning tonight and going the rest of the week here on Hacker After Dark. And we begin with San Francisco and Green Bay. My guy out in San Francisco is Jose Sanchez, all 49ers.com. That's a part of Sports Illustrated. What is the talk in San Francisco? Look, they were probably anticipating Philadelphia or Tampa. Instead, they get Jordan Love and Green Bay. Green Bay can't do it two weeks in a row, right? They can't go into Dallas and win and then go into San Francisco and win, can they? We'll talk about it. Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com, talking Packers and 49ers next on a Tuesday night. It's Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Divisional playoff weekend just around the corner. Of course, the Jaguars are long gone by now, but there are still eight teams remaining, and one of them is the San Francisco 49ers coming off a bye week. They should be healthy. They should be refreshed. And they have maybe a surprise opponent that we didn't see coming in the Green Bay Packers. With that, let's go out to the state of California. My buddy Jose Sanchez covers the San Francisco 49ers for all49ers.com. That's a part of Sports Illustrated. And he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Jose, how you doing?
1: I'm doing slow, my friend, Ryan. Appreciate your call, man. I know, unfortunately, your Jaguars couldn't make it. (laughs) a little bit of a disappointment, I would say.
0: It all started with you guys, Jose. They were never the same after <laughs> San Francisco came in here and absolutely beat them to a pulp. Uh, but you guys, look, I, I, that let's start right there. There was a three-game losing streak. You had the bye week. You came here to Jacksonville and absolutely destroyed the Jaguars. Do you think, Jose, that might have been the turning point?
1: Oh, 1,000%. And I actually remember pretty vividly like me uh, discussing that game With you, um, I wasn't even too sure if we were going to see that type of version of that Niners team because that is when they're pretty much tapping into their true potential Um, because that three-game losing streak was like, what's going on, man? The defense is a mess. The offense is a mess. Purdy is like turning over the ball. And then that bye week, and I wrote about it too, is that that bye week comes at a perfect time. It's the middle of the season. It comes in a three-game losing streak. But now is the time where you can unplug. You can detach yourself from this. Like, hey, that three-game losing streak does not matter. All those blows do not matter. Now we can unplug and then come back and be like, okay, what's wrong? What can we fix? And I think they figured that out and applied that going into that Jaguars game, and they never turn back. Because other than the Ravens game, which of course it's, you can you can hang your hat on losing to the Ravens game, is the only time was that's the only loss. So they really have been on like this very electric surge, and even going to that Eagles game like a few weeks after the Jaguars is when they really curb stopped Also, the Eagles is. They just, they just look formidable. Now everyone's playing like like pretty much pro Bowl, even all pro levels. I mean, heck, they got five all pros on the offense. So they really have turned it up a notch after that bye week. And, yeah, certainly it did start with that Jacksonville Jaguars win.
0: You know, and it was injuries, right? I mean, the 49ers were beat up. Trent Williams missed time. Debo Samuel missed time. I think McCaffrey missed a game in there. And it was just a matter of getting healthy, too, right? I mean, once they got healthy, they never looked back.
1: Yeah, really the key injuries for sure was Debo Samuel and Trent Williams. But I think also, like, yeah, them coming back obviously was a drastic help. But I think also everyone really just, they made, like, they weren't making, like, the players weren't making those, their miscues. Like, defensively, it was always missed tackles. Some scheme, some schematics from Steve Wilkes, the physical coordinator, was a little off. Like, they weren't playing into their strength. Then offensively, you know, Brock Purdy, he would play a good three quarters, but then late in the game would throw, like, couple picks a game and it's like what are you doing here man and some of these players like turnovers but they clean all that up you know offense is not turning the ball over they're playing more efficiently Kyle Shanahan's been at the the best he's ever been with play calling and then defensively now you got the secondary playing tremendously it's it's really all just clicking all and all at once everything's aligning perfectly well and the thing about that three-game losing streak from the 49ers is it wasn't the fact that one or two things were going wrong. It was the fact that everything was going wrong. So the fact that everything was going wrong, and they weren't necessarily, you know, getting getting their head kicked in and losses, that it was like, okay, that's kind of something from, you know, an analytical standpoint. You can be like, well, because it took all that, that it's it's not a big deal. They could probably come back and give themselves a, a B plus game and be fine. And even even during this winning streak or during the second half of the season, starting with that Jaguars game, is they haven't played like, you know perfect game in every single game they've been good enough to win with their b or b minus game which is pretty crazy to see it just shows it just goes to show that they don't have to be amazing for all three all four quarters they could give up like a bad quarter or two and still bounce back it just goes to show like how amazing of this coaching staff and the players that they have that they can execute and click and really and really put their dig their heels in and, and go full speed to win a game
0: Jose Sanchez is our guy when it comes to the San Francisco 49ers. He's with all49ers.com. That's a part of Sports Illustrated, and he's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. We know all the great players, right? McCaffrey, Samuel, Williams. Let's go to the quarterback, Brock Purdy. From Mr. Irrelevant to one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, how has Brock Purdy done this? And more importantly, what's the future for Brock Purdy? Because regardless of what happens, He's getting paid pennies compared to other quarterbacks in the NFL that he's outperforming. I mean, they're going to have to address that this off season, correct?
1: Uh you would think they would have to address it, but they technically do not have to because this is only the second year of his four, 4 year deal. So unless like him and his agent really force the issue, um I think me knowing the 49ers at this point, they would be like, "Let's just wait. Let's just wait, kid." All right? Cuz we have salary cap, we have salary cap space that we have allocated to 10 to 15 star players. So let's bump the brakes on that. So I don't really foresee that happening. Um, and I don't think probably Purdy is going to force the issue either. Um, so that one, that one will probably definitely be a bit of a variable but I don't, Wouldn't see that happening, but in terms of how he's doing it, man, how is How i never would have expected this because this time last year, the 49ers are down to the third stream quarterback, Brock Purdy. And it's like, Oh God, here we go again. 49ers derailed by the season because of quarterback injuries. Um, there's no way it's going to happen. And somehow, he's proving to be an outlier. Like, what we're watching right now is an outlier. Not even the 49ers knew that he was going to be this. Like, that's a fact. They, the, If they thought he was going to be this, it would have drafted him way sooner than the last pick. I mean, he was pretty much a borderline undrafted free agent. And the fact that what he's doing right now is incredible. And honestly, like I said, I was a skeptical first, but his first few starts last year, no, not at all. And then there was question marks going to this year with his elbow, right? Because he tore his UCL, had surgery. It was pretty much borderline. He was close to getting Tommy John, but then he comes back healthy and zero repercussions at all. Zero drawback from it. He doesn't look like he's timid. It doesn't look like last year was a farce, and he's getting better. And it has it has some to do, of course, with who's his coach and who has the talent around him. But some of the critics that I see, you know, from a national standpoint, trying to give credit to oh, he's getting carried by the talent. Like, no, don't mistake this from a Jimmy Garoppolo level because when Jimmy Garoppolo was a starting quarterback for the 49ers, that was truly a quarterback getting carried by his talent. What we're seeing right now, and I've said this since last year, is I'm seeing Brock Purdy, who is being an optimizing figure at quarterback, meaning now all the talents on the 49ers that that everyone adores, McCaffrey, Samuels, the Kittles, all those players now can now tap into their high-level performances each and every game. Whereas before, only one or two of them would be lucky to attain that attain that level of greatness in a game. With Purdy, everyone gets to eat. You know, it's perfect. Like they don't leave. They don't. They leave very little out there that to be had. Like, oh, we missed this play. Like that doesn't happen too too often at all with him as as before with Garoppolo or Trey Lance or whoever was playing quarterback. So with him, he's just really being optimizing. He's, it I think no matter what, I'm always gonna harp on why he's what he's so elite at It's his mindset. His mentality, his toughness—whether he has pressure in his face every down, pressure coming into a the game—the guy's is unfazed, and that's incredible. And that's always, I think, one of the top traits you need to have as a quarterback because it's the—let's be let's it its the most pressurized position in all in all football. So the fact that he has that on lock is just nothing short of greatness.
0: He made some crazy throws here in Jacksonville back in November. No question about that. Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com, which is a part of Sports Illustrated. He's with us here on 1010XL. Jose, going into last weekend, people thought, well, maybe the Rams pull the upset and we could see a rematch, Rams-49ers. I think conventional thinking was the winner of Philadelphia and Tampa Bay was going to head out to San Francisco. But no, lo and behold, Green Bay goes into Dallas – and just absolutely destroys the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, just puts a number on Dallas. Jordan Love was nothing short of sensational, and now all of a sudden, here comes this young Green Bay Packer football team. Level of surprise out in the Bay Area that it is Green Bay, and what's the early thought on them coming in on the Saturday?
1: <laughs> the early sense with people in the Bay Area is typical Cowboys. <laughs> Honestly, you know, a lot of Niner fans. And even some of the media are just like, are the Cowboys actually, you know, you know, and I, I feel like I, I gave the Cowboys myself a little too much credit. I'm a little surprised that it was done in that fashion. The Packers just, you know, just completely dispatched the Cowboys. And now I'm looking at the Packers in a new light, like, man, like, I, again, I know, like, the Cowboys weren't as elite as maybe that's believed. But the fact that you're on the road, you're the number seven seed, you're youngest team in playoff history, right? Like you did that in that fashion. Now, now that we gotta look you a little bit in a new light, at the very least. Um, now for the 49ers, this is not a team that looks like the easiest matchup to me, because because you know, deciding between the four teams who they're gonna face, it was gonna be the Bucks, the Eagles, the Rams, or the Packers. And I had Bucks and Packers as a coin flip of who would be the easiest for the 49ers. Now it's like, okay, now maybe the <laughs> the Packers might have been the strongest and second strongest team for them to the face, because Jordan Love, man, holy. He's just slinging that pill amazingly. Like, so many times yesterday on third down, he has pressure in his face, and he's just delivering it like nothing. And that goes back to, like, man, this guy's mental toughness and just linking me to Purdy, like all these young quarterbacks, like, CJ Shaw, like, man, the league's in good hands right now. So him, I'm a little bit afraid with the 49ers defense because as good as a secondary he's been for the most part since coming out of the bye week, there has been instances where they could be had, for sure. Like, at least several several drives a game where it's like, okay, now these guys are... I don't like the days going coverage, getting beat. I think a little bit where maybe the Niners will have the edge is because the, Cow- the Packers don't necessarily have that dominant wide receiver. They have some good receivers with like Romeo Dubes. Um, I know Christian Watson's been hurt. I'm not sure how much of a factor he's going to be. But I think no matter what, I think Chris Jordan Love's really going to give the 49ers defense some run for their money. But I think ultimately it's going to dwindle down to what is the 49ers offense going to look like against the Packers defense? Because the Packers defense made Dallas's offense look so mediocre. But here's the thing about Joe Barry, Packers defensive coordinator, has to realize is defending against Mike McCarthy offense versus a Kyle Shanahan offense, Kyle Shanahan offense is nowhere near the same. I think that's where he, the, the coordinators will end up running circles around them is they're really going to exploit that Packers defense that Dallas cannot.
0: Well, that's a good point, too. And, you know, look, knowing what we do about football, you and I have watched it for a long time. I mean, yesterday was perfect. For Green Bay. I mean, everything went their way. Oh, yeah. and that's not going to happen two weeks in a row, you don't think. And now, as you mentioned, San Francisco, it was kind of a head-turning moment. Green Bay is not going to sneak up on them like maybe they did on Dallas. As we begin to wrap up, Jose, I mean, look, San Francisco, young in some spots, but let's be honest, Trent Williams isn't getting any younger, right? George Kittle, uh, Christian McCaffrey, not getting any younger. Certainly guys on that defense or some veterans there, do the 49ers – is there a sense of urgency to, to get over the finish line this year knowing that some of their better players are getting up there in age?
1: Oh, a 1,000%. That's part of it. Even before the season coming in, it's like, yeah, Super Bowl bust because this is your year. You guys think you have your quarterback. Your defense is still good. your core pieces are still in place. So, you, again, you have to get it. Last year we understood. your Starting quarterback got knocked out. What are you going to do, right? That pretty much ruined your season. So, barring injury – no excuses, and I think now that the fact that Purdy is even looking better than anyone could have thought going into this year, and given how like well like everyone else is playing, I think it even adds insurmountable pressure than it already was. Like the expectation already was a Super Bowl, but now it's like okay, now you really cannot lose. Like <laughs> the emphasis gets gets really gets really enlarged now because it's just of, of everything that just feels like it's aligning. You're surging, your defense is good, you got the quarterback, and everything. Injuries really for once this year for the 49ers hasn't been too crazy. Other than three games without Tremblay and Debo Samuel, it hasn't been bad. You know, everyone else has been healthy and good. So what's your excuse? The NFC doesn't have – honestly, I think the 49ers are are head and shoulders above the next best team in the NFC. You know, as much as I think the Packers are going to give them a fight for a good part of the game, the 49ers should win that game. And then they should beat Detroit, Philly, or Tampa, whoever they face in the NFC channel game. It's really – it's, 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 there's a reason why the 49ers have only lost, well, three out of the four losses, not including the, uh, the loss of the, the Rams game. That was a preseason game, essentially. Is there's a reason why three of their losses have come by, uh, AFC teams. It's because those AFC teams are tough and they have good defenses or a good quarterback like the Bengals, the Ravens, the Browns. And really the only team that could deflame them is the Ravens. And we saw that on Christmas Day or Christmas night. So I think, yeah, you have to get it for all those reasons and also the competition around you. And that was also the case about the division. Like the NFC West, like who's gonna challenge the 49ers in the NFC West? Not the Cardinals, not the Rams, not the Seahawks, so that's your division. Um, I think I have I think I even hopped on with you in our season preview. We're talking about that. This is your division. You have to win the Super Bowl, but yeah, as the season goes on, now it's like, all right, there's definitely no excuses. I get it, even if you lose to Lamar Jackson in the Super Bowl, like you're still gonna have to wear it on your sleeve that like, you shouldn't have lost that because you faced them, you should have learned. So yeah, under, under no circumstances can the 49ers afford to lose at any point this year. Every game the rest of the way has to win. They have to hoist the Lombardi Trophy, anything less than that. It's going to be – it should be viewed as a failure as well as a bunch of criticism coming their way.
0: And I was going to ask you that. As we wrap up, we got 60 seconds. I mean, with the way it is playing out, Dallas being out, you got home field, Detroit, uh, at least seating-wise, is your uh, best competition remaining. We'll see what happens next week in the divisional round. Would it be considered a flat-out failure if they're not at least in the Super Bowl?
1: I think so. I think even if you're in the Super Bowl, it's still a failure. You just have to do it because for years now, since 2019, what does the 49ers have always needed? It's just a quarterback. And in all the playoff failures in 2019, why'd they fail? The quarterback couldn't deliver. 2021, NFC Championship, Rams, what happened? Quarterback couldn't deliver. Last year, quarterback got knocked out against the Eagles. Now it's like, barring injury, no excuses. None. It doesn't matter if he chokes. There is no lights are too bright. There is no nothing. You have to win it now. If you do not show up and win it, then you need to be slandered for the whole offseason and figure out why you couldn't take it home.
0: Jose Sanchez, all49ers.com, which is a part of Sports Illustrated. Jose, I know you're busy, man. Thank you for the time. If San Francisco gets it done over Green Bay, we'll probably dial your phone next week. Appreciate you, my friend.
1: Appreciate it too, Ryan. Thank you so much.
0: Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Tuesday evening, and we are glad you are with us. College football's offseason is over a week old now, but my gracious, the news that has come out in the last seven or eight days from the retirement of Nick Saban to the new hire of Kalen DeBoer at Alabama. You got, obviously, Mike Norvell with a brand-new contract in Tallahassee. And you got some big-time quarterbacks, including Cam Ward, saying no to the NFL and yes to the Miami Hurricanes. Let's get into all of it with my buddy Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, my friend?
3: Well, it's going to be an interesting week here with a lot of cold weather Um, and uh, listen, I have learned not to complain about the cold weather. With it being 90 degrees here, about what seven months of the year, um, it, it, it's different. People got to be careful. I get all that, but it. it um, uh, but it, it, at the same time, uh, for what you and I do every day, nothing stops it. Doesn't hack. I, I mean, they're just um, we. But re- for the first time, we truly have a non-ending cycle uh, of transfer, coaches, uh, NIL, uh, that frankly, the blessing, the curse of that is, it's not a real good system, but for folks like us and other uh, avid sports fans, you end up looking, covering it uh, every day and checking the Twitter feed multiple times a
0: day. Yeah, there's no doubt. And to that point, it's been 52 days since the Florida Gators played a football game. But they've been in the news almost every day in those 52 days. It's a long seven and a half weeks already, but it certainly doesn't feel that long. All right. You are an Alabama guy. Your brother does sports radio in Alabama. You are an alum of the University of Alabama. Brent Beard, your reaction last week when Nick Saban, in the middle of the afternoon, just up and decides, you know what? The greatest college coach ever, I'm done. I'm retiring. It's over.
3: That day, he was on the coaches teleconference. The rest of the day, he was calling assistance to fill in some of the voids in the staff. And then about 4 o'clock, he was walking into a meeting uh, with players, and I think this meeting was pretty routine in a lot of ways. Um, what crystallized for him at some point, and it had to—he got some coaches that he talked to about coming and joining the staff. Hank, they said. Coach, we uh, we'd love to do it, but we know you're only going to be there another year or two, so we need something more stable. Um, and I think that meant a lot to him that he really probably had come to that point. And amazingly, he actually admitted that when he when he was walking into that meeting at about three fifty-five for the four meeting. He said five minutes before. Um, I I had yet to make up my mind what I was going to do. So that was interesting to say the least. But let me give this a local flavor here. You and I were around uh, and you and I covered Bobby Bowden. And the problem there is as great a coach and legend as he always will be, we both know that um, his tenure at Florida State did not end well. They were not recruiting the way they needed to. They certainly were not developing players the way they needed to. And fortunately, he decided to go. And we both know he really wanted another year even when he went. So the point of that is, Saban did not want that to happen, uh, not only to him, but also to the program. And, and that... That, frankly, is why he retired uh, probably three to five years before people thought he would.
0: You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, go quick here because there's a lot of other angles I want to hit with you, but I got to ask you, with your ties to that state, can you put into words what Nick Saban meant to the state of Alabama?
3: He made about $11 million a year, and he was grossly underpaid. And people would scoff at that. But when he started, Alabama had about 23,000 students, and now they've got like nearly 40. Now, I know that uh, they didn't all come for football but some of them did, and they wanted to have the experience. Um, but it is unbelievable the number of people who who will say uh, forever that in some form or fashion that he changed their life by being there and having that much success. So we really don't even have enough time to get into all that, but um, it, it was immeasurable about what he did um, for... Uh, not only the the football team, but the university, and frankly, the state of Alabama in general.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think you can put into words, he's obviously the greatest football coach in college that we've ever seen, and then it's so much more than that when you talk about, like you said, the university, the city of Tuscaloosa, all the businesses that have thrived because yes. of Nick Saban being there. I mean, you got to think about all of that. Now, life after Saban begins, and it's Kalen DeBoer. Uh, look, you never want to be the guy that follows the guy, and you never want to be the guy that follows Nick Saban. So, good luck to Kalen DeBoer. And, Brent, I'm curious, man. You know, look, good coach, very little ties to the southeastern part of the country. Brian Harson was a good coach. He came to Auburn, and it was a disaster. Now, I don't think DeBoer is going to, have the same situation that Harson did. But I bring that up because I'm very surprised that Alabama, and this is Alabama we're talking about, brought in a guy that's not familiar with recruiting and things along those lines in this part of the country.
3: Well, this is also typical of a Greg Byrne hire being the AD in Alabama. He does think out of the box. And what he said was, and he's right, is one of his other out-of-the-box hires was Nate Oates, the, the Bama basketball coach, uh, who's done extremely well. So uh, that threw some people off. I mean, there were a lot of talk about Mike Norvell and uh, Steve Sarkeesian at Texas and um, Debo Sweeney. and
0: Dan Lanning. Uh,
3: uh, and, and others. Dan Lanning was the first. Uh, that they had some interest in, but there was just something special about Deboer. And the re- the reason I don't think this is going to be another Mike Dubose, um, who, uh, who was the disaster after um, <clears throat> the um, um, I mean, you went through um, uh, several different coaches. Um, uh, but is uh, DeBoer's had incredible success at Washington, and he has a tremendous staff. A lot of that staff is coming with him, including Grubb, the offensive coordinator, who a lot of people think is just absolutely an elite uh, offensive coordinator. So we will see, but I think he's trying to embrace it instead of staying away from it. I know when Ray Perkins replaced Bear Bryant, uh, Perkins basically wanted to keep away and try to take down and remove anything that happened with Bryant, which is a huge mistake for him. Uh, But uh, I I think it's a good hire. Only time will tell. It certainly is from a different part of the country. He's going to have to get some, um, some SEC coaches in there at some point to help him recruit. But uh, I think so far, uh, the players and the school and so forth have uh, been pleased with what they've seen from DeBoer.
0: You see Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, whether DeBoer was the first choice or not, I guess we'll never really know with 100% certainty. There are people out there that reported that Mike Norvell was certainly in the mix. Alabama was very interested, and to Florida State's credit, they stepped up to the plate and gave Norvell a monster extension. And if you were to go back to August of 2022 and yeah. you were to tell Florida State fans in 17 months, right, in January of 24, we're going to sign Norvell to an eight-year deal that's going to pay him over $10 million per year, they would have laughed in your face. Yeah. Again, that contract extension, Brent, the culmination – of a crazy 17-month turnaround in Tallahassee.
3: Yeah, it really was. And listen, you and I remember the time where there were some of the players uh, that were audibly speaking out against him in the public, and we really were wondering at that time would this last uh, much longer. But it, but it certainly has, and and Norvell has uh, really worked out a deal that is going to keep him there for for quite some time. Now, let's be honest here. Besides Greg Byrne, (laughs) the other genius in this situation is Jimmy Sexton because so many of these coaches mentioned are his clients. So not only did he get Alabama a coach, (laughs) but he also got his other clients a big raise. Steve Sarkisian and Mack Doravell, among them, Um, so Florida State's just in a different area right now. They're still getting out of the league. That's coming. Um, We we might have an announcement on that in the next few months or less, but for the here and the now, except for the uh, Ellis Atkins suspension uh, of three games of this year, um, uh, with the uh, level two violations. Um, I mean, a lot. Rodell Williams from Alabama has landed at Florida State. Richie Leonard from Florida has come there now. D.J. Lundy has is, is, uh, withdrawn from the NCAA portal. Sean Murphy of Alabama is visiting. Um, Dennis Briggs, their defensive lineman, has entered the portal. Terrence Ferguson from Alabama is committed. So you get the point here. Uh, Not only did he get a raise, but they've certainly had an influx of players, um, several of those being from Alabama.
0: Yeah, Mike Norvell is the king of the transfer portal. Every year he does it, and he's doing it again here in 2024. A couple more for Brent Beard here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Brent, as we make the turn for home, two final questions. Number one. As I mentioned, 17 months ago, Florida State fans would have laughed at you saying Norvell was going to get that sort of extension. If you were to tell Gator fans 17 months from now that Billy Napier would get an extension, they would probably laugh at you too. I don't think uh, it's going to have the same happy ending in Gainesville that it had in Tallahassee based largely on the schedule that Florida is playing, but the Norvell case is a reminder that you don't ever want to pack up ship until it's officially over. And Billy Napier still has time to turn things around at Florida like Norvell did in Tallahassee.
3: Well, like you, uh, I hear people about Florida and run into Florida fans at the grocery store, at church, at the gym. Had a guy stop me last night at the gym. And the point that was made out of that was, the record may not be that much better, but are they playing better are they um uh, or are they a lot more fluid on offense? Can they stop somebody on defense, and can they just quit making dumb decisions um uh, such as having two number threes on the field at the same time? um I mean, there have been some good things happen, Montreal Johnson is coming back at running back. Jalen Wiggins has committed. He's a four-star defensive lineman. Former Texas DB Jaron Thompson has visited. uh, Also, uh, and also Joshua Abdullah um, uh, has also committed. I do want to say, and I don't know a lot about this, you may know more. I'm grieved that Ronald Powell has passed away, Uh, a former Gator player, an NFL player. That was certainly sad um, to hear. Yeah,
0: that caught me off guard because Ronald Powell was the number one recruit in the country. I believe for Will Muschamp, he came in with Dominic Easley and with Mm -hmm. Matt Elam. And Ronald Powell, unfortunately, is probably best known at Florida for tearing his knee up in the orange and blue game and he tore his knee up, and that really stifled his career. But my gracious, when I woke up to the news yesterday that he had passed, I don't know any of the particulars, but my goodness, what a sad, sad story. He couldn't have been more than early to mid-30s, and your heart just goes out to that young man, his family, obviously, and everybody associated with him.
3: Way too many young players who are dying lately. I think the other thing here real quick is – the uh, Florida's getting some interest from, in this discussion from last night with this fan, uh, but, but it applies to this. His thing is, okay, they're getting guys, and I've never heard of them, but I think they can play. So, my thing is, he's getting players from, and getting looks from players like from Liberty, and from Tulane and places like that. And what Gator fans, I think, need to remember is you're not going to get everybody from Ohio State, Michigan, to USC. You're going to get some players from some smaller schools that you haven't paid a whole lot of attention to, but these these guys can still play. So hopefully that's going to be the case for Florida. I still think they want to... uh, See more changes in the staff, and maybe some bigger names. Um, but it's not that it's not that they're not doing anything because they are. But but Hank, and I'm sure you've encountered this too. Some of these folks, we just don't know a whole lot about them, and hopefully they can play. Uh, and they transition quickly when they get to Gainesville.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. There's a lot of questions about the Gator roster, particularly with that schedule they have coming up this season. Mm -hmm. Brent, final question. we got about 90 seconds. Got to go really quick here. But the quarterbacks in the state of Florida this year, you talk about where we are in college football, the big four, if you include UCF, well, they're all going to be transfers. Uwe Ungolay in Tallahassee, Mertz in Gainesville, K.J. Jefferson, the Arkansas yep. transfer, now at UCF, and Miami now getting Cam Ward, who the thought was he was going to the NFL from Washington State. He had a change of heart, NIL, I'm sure, and now goes to Coral Gables. So, my goodness, all four, big four in Florida, all with transfer starting quarterbacks.
3: And Cam Ward may the best of them all. Um now, a lot of people don't know about him. I mean, he was an incarnate word at one point. Uh, some people have never heard of that school. He threw for probably 10,000 yards there. Um exaggerating, but not much. Um, so, I mean, Ward's been around, and he's he, and he's certainly going to be by far their better quarterback, I believe. Uh, Uncle La at Florida State will be interesting Still, kind of question his accuracy and his touch on the ball. Uh, frankly, merch we know is going to be good, and Lagway there is going to be learning from him. Jefferson will be fascinating at UCF to see where that's going. But that that's a good call and is in an astute point. Boy, we we would have had five years ago uh, we would have never seen that. The, you know, the quarterbacks may have been freshmen. Um, Coming, coming out from high school, but we would have never seen what we were seeing today.
0: And again, Florida, we'll see all of them. They'll play Cam Ward, yep. they'll play KJ Jefferson, and they'll play DJU <laughs> with Miami, right. UCF, and Florida State all on the Gator 2024 mm. schedule. You get Brent Beard every uh, week here on Hacker After Dark. You also see him on television there on First Coast News. Brent, appreciate it. Last week this time, we had no idea – that Norvell was going to get a massive extension and Saban was going to retire. Who knows what will happen in the world of college football seven days from now, but we'll talk about it when it arrives. Brother, appreciate you.
3: Well, I appreciate you too, and, and uh, my final thought here is, and if Harbaugh leaves Michigan, we'll have another domino effect, won't we, Hank?
0: That's a good point, and he met with the Chargers earlier this week, so we will certainly see what happens there. Thanks, Brent.
3: My pleasure bud. take care and and, uh, and stay warm too okay
0: <laughs> Back here on 1010 XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville we are glad you are with us The Jaguar season now more than a week in the books after Well, the biggest collapse in franchise history. I don't think I'm sugarcoating that at all. And the NFL playoffs are in full swing. And my goodness, how good did the Houston Texans look over the weekend? There is a lot to get into with that. Let me go to my buddy D-Rock, Mike DiRocco, ESPN.com. Always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mike, how you doing, man? I'm good, Hacker. How are you, bud? Mike, we're good. I guess last week was kind of like... Uh, coping, right? We had to get through the grief and now we're on to the understanding as to what exactly happened. And let me ask you, you're around this team every day. It's been eight days, Mike, what happened? Why did this team collapse in the fashion that they did?
4: You know, the funny thing is I think Josh Allen, what he said after the game in the locker room after the game was really telling to me. And that is, he said the last, you know, five, six weeks, We were just kind of waiting for that spark to happen, Um, you know, like we got last year and just waiting for it to happen. And it never came. Um, And, you know, to me, that is that's a pretty darn big indictment of the I I don't know that chemistry is the right word, but certainly the the approach inside the locker room. Um, You know, as Doug Peterson said, I think the next day, you know, go be the spark. Somebody needed to step up. And no one really did. And I and I get that there were, you know, injuries and that's a part of it. Um, You know, I get that there were some questions on defense and I get that there were, you know, you know, a quarterback who hadn't really practiced in three weeks. Um, But 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 the bigger thing to me is that there was just it seemed like the leadership in that locker room didn't take over the way it needed to. And I think that's something that might be a little bit concerning going forward a little bit.
0: Yeah, there's no question. And look, since the loss, 10 coaches have been let go, including obviously defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell. And here's my question, D-Rock. If Calvin Ridley catches that ball with two minutes to go in Nashville and finds his way into the end zone, and Jacksonville goes on to say beat Tennessee in overtime, are those coaches still here, or was that a – a knee-jerk reaction to the loss in Tennessee?
4: That's a really good question. Um, you know, I think if if they had gone out the way, like, say, the Browns went out in the first round of the playoffs and had given up, what was that, 45, I think it was, whatever the, Brown, the Texans scored, then I think there would be some wholesale changes. I think um, if they had just lost in that first-round playoff game in a normal game, then, I think there was going to be changes anyway, but I don't know that it was going to be as drastic as what we saw. Um, You know, that defense down the stretch of the season, we point to all the turnovers and we point to Trevor Lawrence's um, struggles, uh, you know, in that last stretch there. But, you know, that defense gave up 34 points at home to the Cincinnati Bengals and Jake Browning. I mean, you score 31 at home, you should win that game. Um, You know, you went ahead and gave up, what, 28? uh to uh to the or whatever the, the 30 excuse me 30 to the bucks on christmas eve when it was just an absolutely listless performance and the 28 points you gave up and the 153 yards rushing to uh, derrick henry which was the most he had rushed for this year i mean it, it, you know look you, both sides share blame but seriously when that defense needed to step up and make some plays in the, in the second part of that season, they really didn't do it. So I was expecting some changes anyway. I don't know that it would have been the full sale, you know, hey, everybody's gone except two or three guys on the defensive side, but there would have been changes.
0: Mike dot ESPN.com. I also thought Andrew Wingard in the postgame locker room up in Nashville a week ago Sunday when he said that guys were uh, basically not playing assignment football down the stretch. I thought that was a pretty – telling statement from a team captain. Now we turn the page and get into the future, and the future is the new defensive coordinator or who it's going to be. And, Mike, we've heard a lot of names, right? We've heard names like Wink Martindale. We've heard former Gator Marquand Manuel. Not, you know, so much to talk about a certain person, but the type of person. Do you believe it's going to be a guy with more experience on their side? Do you believe they might look – at a younger up-and-comer, if you will? How do you think that plays itself out?
4: You know, I think it's got to be a guy that has some defensive coordinator experience. Um, Look, Shad Khan was not happy with the way this season ended. Eight and three, um, you know, we were talking about this team maybe getting the number one seed, overall seed in the AFC, and they just absolutely fell apart. And, you know, the thing that we have to keep in mind here is Shad Khan's trying to get a stadium deal done. And – when your team is struggling and falling apart the way it is, that's not really a good look. And I'm not saying that this is going to impact whether the stadium deal gets done or not. It, it, most likely everything gets done. But, man, you were rolling and everything was going crazy and you know everybody was excited, and now it's just absolutely the opposite. And so uh, I don't know that Doug Peterson has to make it to the playoffs and, and win two or three games next year to save his job. I don't think he, he's on the hot seat. But certainly, I think Doug Peterson uh, took a little bit of a beating from owner Shad Khan, and and if he's going to right this ship, he's going to have to find a guy that has had some defensive coordinator experience before and can kind of figure out what the best way to use some of these guys are. You know, I I still think Trayvon Walker's a guy that probably would benefit from rushing inside more than he does from the outside, so we'll have to see how that plays out. But if if you're Doug Peterson, you need a guy – you already have an offensive coordinator who's just going into his second year. You need somebody that you can turn that defense over to and just have full trust that there's not going to be any issues and that you're going to have the right scheme. You're going to make the right calls at the right time. And I think that's why a guy with previous experience would probably be the best way to go.
0: Yeah. Wink Martindale, Leslie Frazier, a couple of names that we've heard. In fact, Martindale reportedly coming in to interview uh, later on this week here in Jacksonville, Mike Duraco of ESPN.com. DRock, the fan base is after Trent Baalke again, two years after Some of them dressed up as clowns to voice their frustration. You thought all was right with the world after the 2022 season. But, boy, resting on the laurels. Hindsight's always 2020, and I get it. And I think we all drank the Kool-Aid to an extent. But looking back last year and doing nothing except saying we're going to run it back, I get they couldn't go on a wild spending spree again. But, Mike, they did nothing last offseason. When you're a prized free agent – was a kicker that Denver cut in May, that's a problem, right? I mean, you look back on that. They they
4: should have done more. Yeah, well, look, they go into this offseason with the same concerns that they went into last offseason. And number one concern going into last offseason was pass rush. Well, they waited to the fifth round to take an undersized guy out of Louisville. You know, they didn't sign any of the veteran guys that they brought in for visits later on in, in, uh, you know, in camp or later on when our early part of the season or just between, you know, the end of camp, uh, end of, um, mini camp and training camp. They didn't, they didn't sign anybody. Um, the offensive line was an issue last year and they just decided to roll it back and, and they didn't make a single change there except drafting Anton Harrison at right tackle, which the right tackle area, you had to find somebody there for sure, but that's not all the work they should have done on the offensive line. It was, I think, you know, Gus Bradley, you know, and I hate to bring that up because I know Jags fans don't like hearing about Gus Bradley, but Gus Bradley always would say one of the worst things that you can think as a head coach or as a player in the NFL is, I got it. I understand. I got it. I got it. And I think that's what they felt last year. I got it. We got it. We're good. You know what, we were good enough to go in Kansas City and beat the Chiefs and we just, you know, made a couple of mistakes here and there. Otherwise, we'd have been playing in the AFC title game. And they just expected to roll that back like you said, and it didn't work. And now, you know, in addition to pass rush being another question, now you're going into this offseason having to address the interior of that offensive line. If you don't, if they don't make changes there, then we're going to be sitting here in the same position next year. Um, asking the same questions. And now there's also some major questions about Trevor Lawrence, whether he likes it or not, or whether the Jags like it or not. Now it's like, well, wait a minute. Is he the guy? He had that great run the second half last year, but you know what? He turns the ball over at such an alarming rate. And I know the interceptions, some of them may not be his fault, but man, the ball security and fumbles, that's got to change. And those are three major questions that they've got to answer in this offseason or it's going to be another long year because all of a sudden, the AFC South, not the crappy division we all thought it was going to be.
0: No, not with the emergence of Houston. Indianapolis darner made the playoffs with a backup quarterback. D Rock, you hit on two things there that I want to get more of your thoughts on. Number one, you mentioned Trevor. Look, I don't think Trevor should go anywhere. I'm happy he's here. I think he's the franchise guy. Having said that, I would have some real concern about paying him buku dollars this offseason but the price of doing business in the NFL we know Herbert got paid after year three in LA Burrow got paid after year three in Cincinnati and now here's Lawrence after year three are there going to be any issues if Trevor does not get a new deal prior to the start of the 2024 season
4: I haven't heard of any Um, now that's obviously right now at the end of the season and you know as we get Further into the offseason, that kind of stuff may start popping up, but I have not heard any. And look, if you're the Jags, I don't know that you do pay them this offseason. I honestly want to say, or I would honestly say, hey, look, we all struggled last year. We got to fix some other areas. Let's go ahead and concentrate on that. Trevor, you're our guy. We believe in you. Um, you know, we'll pick up the fifth year option, obviously, and then we'll work on this next year. But right now, we've got to solve some other areas of this this team and to be honest with you i would really be surprised if trevor lawrence wasn't in meetings with doug peterson at some point the last couple of weeks you know his exit interview if he sat down with trent balky sat down with Shad khan the owner and made his thoughts known about what needs to be fixed um i wouldn't you know if if the jags do a deal with him after this in this offseason i wouldn't be surprised if they don't i don't think i would be surprised either um, not after what he kind of put on tape the last, you know, half of the season. Uh, you know, even the first half of the season, I thought it was very good. He may not have been flashy, but if you look, I think he had a streak of five or six games, the longest of his career with a pass rating over 90. So he was playing good football. The numbers may not have been there, but he was playing good football. The last half of the season, that's a different story.
0: couple of more from Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com. DRock, you also brought up pass rush. And I remember being out there with you and Mark Long and all the guys at OTAs and in minicamp and training camp. And we knew then that they had nothing behind Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker. And every press conference, you or Mark or somebody would ask, hey, are you going to bring this guy in? Or this veterans available? And they kept saying, oh, the young guys are going to develop. We think we're good. We think we're good. And it was nonsense, I mean, they're talking about Caleb on chase on and these fourth and fifth round rookies that they drafted. It was just complete and total nonsense. And I guess my question is, if guys like you and me knew they had nothing behind Walker and Allen, then the general manager making millions of dollars, he better should have known that. And now is it incompetence, which I don't think it is. I think Balky's a pretty smart guy. Or was it simply arrogance on the franchise's part not to address that?
4: I think it's more the latter, but maybe a little bit of the former, uh, too, mixed in. Because, look, they were counting on DeJuan Smoot coming back from the Achilles um, and being an impact. And they were counting on uh, Devon Hamilton to do that as well on the interior. Now, Hamilton had the back infection, and that really kind of just wiped out this entire season for him. So from that standpoint, they were hurt there. But to count on a guy like a Dewan Smoot coming off an Achilles injury— and when did he start playing? End of October. I mean, we're. I mean, that, that's unrealistic and arrogant to think that he would be able to do much less than a year after he tore his Achilles. So, look, they had guys in. They had Calais in. They had Jadavion Clowney in. They had who? They have Justin Hughes. I mean, they had veteran guys in. And if you look across the league throughout the season, NFL teams bring veterans in off the street and sign guys at positions hoping for just a little bit of a contribution or hoping that they can provide a spark or hoping that they can catch, you know, maybe magic in a bottle a little bit for a three or four week stretch and get something out of these guys. The Jags, they brought in Ben or Ezra Cleveland from the Minnesota Vikings in a, in a mid season trade uh, who who they think is going to be their left guard next year. But they, they did not address the biggest weakness on this team going into the uh this past off season. And hacker, how bad would it have been if Josh Allen didn't have the monster season that he had? Mm-hmm. If Josh was up there around eight, nine, ten sacks, which is kind of where he had been living um, you know, for most of his career, how bad would it have been? It would have been way, way worse.
0: It would have been awful. And there's no doubt, or if he gotten hurt, anything. I mean they kind of got lucky in that regard. Mike, as we wrap up, two final questions. We'll have you on again right about the start of free agency but clearly before then so we're talking you know somewhere mid to late february josh allen calvin ridley and the franchise tag now the theory i've heard out there is that the ideal scenario would be to re-sign josh allen and then tag ridley just don't sign him prior to the draft and you won't owe atlanta a second round pick you'd owe him a third round pick is that your ideal scenario for what the
4: jaguars need to do Yeah, but that's not what I think will happen. I think they're going to tag Josh, uh, to be honest with you, and then try and work something out with Ridley. I I just don't – I just get the feeling that there's still an element in that building of, okay, wait a minute. He has this monster year in a career year. He wasn't this guy for the first four years of his career. Maybe you know we should see if he can do it again. Uh, And and I may be wrong. I may be be misreading that, but from – talking to people throughout the season inside the organization, it just seemed like that that was sort of the feeling that, you know, this Josh is more the guy that you've seen the first four years and not saying he's a bad player. He's a good player and very good against the run, but not the dominant pass rusher that he was this year. So my expectation is Josh gets the franchise tag. Now, if they can work out some sort of a long-term deal with him after that point, you can pull the franchise tag back. And then work on the Ridley stuff and see if you know if you could do it that way as well. I, I, I just – I get the feeling that it's going to be franchise tagged. The very first day that Josh can be tagged I think is when we'll hear that, that they have done so. But you're right. I would do it the way you talked about it earlier. But again, I probably would have signed Josh last year uh, to a, an extension, and it would have been a bargain because he would have – I would have expected Josh to have the same kind of season this year that he had regardless of whether he got a contract last year or not because of the guy Josh is, the kind of guy he is. So now it's going to cost them way more than it would have had they done it last year.
0: We got 60 seconds. Is your expectation, D Rock, that Calvin Ridley is in this team's future plans?
4: Yes, I do think. If they can come to an agreement on a, a reasonable number for both sides. But, yeah, they, they liked him. Uh, They think another year in the offense will be very, very beneficial for him and give him a fuller understanding of, you know, some of those option routes and some of the issues that kind of cropped up this year will go away with another year in the system.
0: The offseason really never stops for ESPN.com. Mike DeRocca, what's coming up on ESPN.com over the coming days and weeks?
4: Yeah, I've got a big piece. I think it's running Tuesday or Wednesday about uh, basically what went wrong this year and sort of breaking it down into several areas. A a lot of it's some of the stuff that we talked about, but I delve into the injuries and, um, you know, some coaching, questionable coaching decisions and some of the things that some of the players said after the final game that kind of led you to, you know, conclude that there were maybe some not locker room issues, but some unhappiness in there at times.
0: Mike, we always appreciate it. Again, D Rock, Mike DeRocco. We'll do it again around the start of free agency. Know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time, my friend.
4: Appreciate it, Hacker. Anytime, bud.
0: And thank you to Mike DeRocco of ESPN.com for joining us here on Hacker After Dark as we recapped the failures at the end of the year and certainly looked ahead to the next moves the Jaguars are going to make here in the offseason. My big takeaway of the evening here on Hacker After Dark, well, Misery loves company, right? And if it makes you feel any better, both the Miami Dolphin fan base and the Philadelphia Eagle fan base are exactly like you are today. Now, they just were two games better at Week 12, so their failures at the end of the year still found themselves into the postseason. So Jacksonville is the only one of those three to miss the playoffs. Philadelphia might as well not even shown up last night. They got embarrassed by Tampa. Miami didn't look very good either. And so there you go. Eagles, Dolphins, Jaguars, all three arguably among the top five, top six teams in the NFL at week 12. All three with miserable, miserable failures down the stretch of their seasons. Dolphins one and done in the playoffs. Eagles one and done in the playoffs. Jaguars did not make the playoffs. And all three lost pretty big division leads at the end of the year. It'll be very curious, the offseason that all three of those teams have moving forward. That'll just about do it. What has been a very busy Tuesday night edition, our late night show here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us each and every Tuesday night. We got a ton of people to thank for this evening's broadcast. Again, thank you to Mike DiRocco of ESPN.com. Thank you to Jose Sanchez all49ers.com that is a part of Sports Illustrated as we previewed Green Bay and San Francisco on Saturday night in the NFC Divisional Playoff. Thank you to my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News, and you get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark, talking a little college football, Nick Saban, retirement, Mike Norvell extension, and more. And back in hour number one, thank you to my buddy Demetrius Harvey, of the Florida Times-Union for talking a little Jags with us here this evening. We will be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us on our late night show on a Tuesday here on 1010XL and on 92. Point five FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday night, and we will do it all over again tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at
4: 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.